The member I've asked to speak tonight, um, I met in service. Um, she was very uh, uh, helpful in guiding me in, in service, uh, see, showing how this is done. Um, uh, she's she's come here to speak at my home at, at my home group in Steubenville. Uh, that's Thursday, 7 p.m. at the Trinity East. Um, and I and she's come. She came down here last year to speak at the uh, Wheeling Area uh, Learning Day. Um, that was a service workshop. Um, I've, she's got a good spiritual message. She's got great recovery. Uh, she's. Uh, I'm really glad she's here tonight. Um, her home group is uh, it's Saturday morning, Saturday 9 a.m. in Pittsburgh, Frick Park Group. Cheryl L., come give it away. I'm an addict named Cheryl. Cheryl. Yeah, now I have to live up to that hype. There's no clock in here, so I'm really nervous. Get this in your face. Okay. All right. So I'm going to watch the time. Um, sometimes I think like the most important thing that I say when I get up here is that I'm an addict and my name's Cheryl. Because for so long, like I had a level of denial about that. And even once I started coming around, you know, I, I had this moment of transition when I had somewhere between 60 and 90 days clean. Um, I was at what became my home group, and um, I had probably been sharing about the same crap that I shared about every Wednesday night, which usually included that my father was an asshole and my boyfriend was a jerk. Um, and I don't know, it went around the room, and one of the guys who at the time had a lot of clean time because he had 13 months, um, it was the, towards the end of the meeting, and he was sharing something to the effect of, you know, he was tired of people coming into his meeting and wasting his time listening to their dribble about, you know, all sorts of bullshit and not really getting down to the exact nature and not even being sure if they belong there. Now, I don't know if he was actually talking about me. I never asked him. But the self-centeredness of the disease, I was sure that he was. Um... And, and while all of that was happening, like, in my head, like, there was all this, you know, there's, like, crazy shit takes place in this head, you know, that committee. Um, and so while he was droning on about his stuff, like, in my head, I was like, do I really belong here? Am I really an addict? You know, all of those, you know. And it was like the end of the meeting and, and the format had, you know, does, does there, is there any last anything? I don't remember how. It, and it was like literally all I could say was to say, I'm an addict and my name's Cheryl. 
And I said it in that, you know, in that order, which was very uncommon in those days. And it was really in that moment after having been coming around for a little while and, you know, I don't know how much time I actually had at the time. But that, like, it was that moment where I really made the decision that I was an addict and that I wanted what you guys had and made that thorough commitment that this was the way of life that I wanted to live. And um, that was... When that actually happened, I don't know exactly, but my clean date is 11-10 of 1987. So I was sitting there getting really nervous around the traditions. That's like usually where my stomach starts flip-flopping is, you know, somewhere around the seventh tradition being read. And uh, I forgot that you guys do that clean time thing afterwards. So like my stomach got to flip-flop a little longer. Um, you know, and, and it's one of those things, you know, I've been coming around a while, I've come to meetings in all sorts of places, and like, for the most part, anytime I go somewhere else that's like different from where I got clean, y'all do it wrong. And, and it's crazy because I sponsor some women that have moved And they get to wherever they're going, and they're like, they do it wrong. And it's like, you know, none of us do it wrong. We do it differently. And like, we we have a, you know, for me, this is a, you know, there's a a prescribed order to this program. It's called the 12 Steps and the 12 Traditions. How we each practice that, incorporate it, um, work it, if you will, really becomes very different. And so, like, it doesn't matter. You can hold your meet. My home group, 9 a.m., Saturday morning, I'm going to do that shame. I did really like Terrence's shameless plug for his home group, by the way. Uh, but i got to say, if you're getting up on a Saturday morning to show up at a Narcotics Anonymous meeting at 9 a.m., I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about everybody else who shows up. That's commitment to recovery. Um, We have an interesting group of people that show up. We have those people who are like me that kind of roll out of bed and show up in our pajamas. Pajamas are acceptable at my home group. Um, We also have these people that I don't get this, but they do it. At 9 a.m., they are showered, like shit showered, shaved, dressed to the nine. Like, I look at these people and I'm thinking, are you going to a wedding or something? We have white, black, purple, green. Um, we have gay, straight, unsure. Um, every religion that you could think of and lack of religion, we have all of that. Um, we are really a melting pot of what this fellowship is at 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Um, one of my home group members likes to call us the meat and potatoes meeting. We're Steps and Traditions meeting out of the It Works, How and Why. We read a step every week except the last week of the month. And the last week of the month we do the tradition. But as far as the readings go, we read the Steps and Traditions and that's it. As our opening of the meeting. We don't do clean time. We don't do any secretary's announcements, GSR reports. If you want any of that, you've got to find it on the table. 
So we really are like the meat and the potatoes. Uh, and, and the thing, you know, I think about that since I had a couple years clean, I've always had a home group that was a Steps and Traditions meeting. Uh, my husband always laughs at me. I have this bag full of my books, and I can't come up to the podium, you know, without my books. Because uh, the one thing that I know is that the literature has not lied to me. I might disagree with it sometimes, but the literature hasn't lied to me. I love all of you, but you people have lied to me. Uh, I've been the liar. Uh, you know, our literature says that, you know, we i got to come up here and share my experience, strength, and hope. That has become more and more of a struggle the longer I stay clean. Uh, 28 years is a lot of experience. Like, how do I put 28 years in the 30 minutes that I have? Uh, a minute a year? Like, that doesn't work. Uh, you know, our literature talks about it doesn't matter what or how much you used or who your connections were. And sometimes, like, and I'm guilty of it, I'll get up here and I'll spend way more time talking about the what and how much I used and not about, you know, what happened these past 28 years. Uh, so, you know, our literature also talks about the importance of a Narcotics Anonymous meeting being recognizable as Narcotics Anonymous and, like, how we identify is that we're drug addicts. Uh, you don't need the litany of drugs that I use to know that I'm a drug addict. Um, as a matter of fact, for me, when I got here, the litany of drugs that you used were one of the things that, like, I used to sometimes think I was different. Um, I used enough to end up my first time in recovery at 16 years old. I then used enough to end up back here before I turned 22. Uh, I'm a firm believer that you don't, like, end up in, the, in a Narcotics Anonymous meeting because everything's okay. Um, I ended up in a Narcotics Anonymous meeting the first time because my mother died and I was suicidal. And I had been doing the creative quit using, which was I stopped using drug A and used B, C, D, and E. And the next week I stopped using drug B and used A, C, D, E, F, and add G to it. You know, you know, selective. You know, when I got here this time, You know, my unmanageability was that I was not quite 22 years old. I weighed 82 pounds, which just so you guys know, men, I'm speaking to you men for a minute here. No grown, no, not any grown woman should weigh 82 pounds. Like, I know you guys want to think that that looks hot. It doesn't. Um, ladies, like, you know what I'm talking about. But 82 pounds, I was all that. Um, 
you know, blow too hard and I'd fall over. Uh, so, like, I got here weighing 82 pounds. Um, I got here in an abusive relationship, and, and I used that, you know, in a strain. It was a mutually abusive relationship. Um, actually, I was probably more abusive. Um, differently. I had an, a, I was estranged from my family and I had managed to graduate college and forgot that what you're supposed to do after you graduate, well, no, I didn't really forget. I just didn't have the exact ability to look for a job. So I was almost 22 years old and going nowhere. And I ended up here. Like, the whole details of it are irrelevant, but, like, I ended up here because my using created a level of unmanageability in my life that um, nobody really wanted to be around me anymore. I didn't want to be around me. Um, I wasn't so sure when I got here that you guys wanted to be around me either. Um, in 1987, this fellowship looked a little different than it looks today. Um, like, I look around this room, and there are a lot of young people. Uh, when I got here at almost 22, I was probably one of four people in the area that I got clean that was under 35. Uh, and we weren't necessarily as loving and caring, or maybe that's not true, and that's my perspective, but, like, I, people told me that, you know, they spilled more than I used, and... All sorts of crazy, happy horse shit. I do want to say this. I hear all sorts of people say that, you know, when, when they got here, people that I got clean with, you know, say, oh, we were told to sit down, shut up. Like, nobody ever told me to sit down and shut up. I had a bunch of women that loved me when I couldn't love myself. Uh, I had a group of women that after I was diagnosed with exhaustion and malnutrition at a year clean, like, called me every morning to make sure I ate breakfast, called my office at lunch to make sure I ate lunch, and usually cooked me dinner. Um, so, you know, I think I weighed 90 pounds when I had three years clean. Yay! Um, wouldn't it be, no. I was going to say, wouldn't it be great to be 90 pounds again, but no, it wouldn't. Um, you know, so I got here. That was my unmanageability. You know, I think about... Like the early days of my recovery and um, the fellowship has grown and the fellowship is different. And, and I, you know, not better, not worse, it's different. But when I got here, where I got clean, which was about 50 miles south of Pittsburgh, we didn't have an NA meeting every day of the week. So we traveled. And we were a gang. We, we, we like to be known as the class of 87, 88. There was a group of us that got clean the end of 87, beginning of 88. And we piled into a car. I had a 1985 Honda Accord LX. You know, legally five people are allowed to be in that car. And it was a five speed. All right. Well, we would like, on Fridays, we would meet at this meeting that met at noon and Everybody would throw whatever money they could spare up on the hood of my car. And um, based on what we collected, we would figure out where we were going. 
And, like, sometimes we could, like, you know, sometimes we got lucky and, like, there was enough money to, like, fill the gas tank. And we had, our sponsors taught us some basic courtesies. And so one of the things that was, was that, you know, we always wanted to get to a meeting and go out for coffee afterwards. But we were taught that if we went out for coffee afterwards, we had to have enough money to actually pay the check and to leave a tip. And so, like, there were times where, like, we were, like, going, all right, okay, we can go here, but if we go here, we can't get coffee. And it was, like, this, you know, puzzle of figuring out what we could do. But we would throw all this money up, and then we would, then it would be the real puzzle of trying to get, like, 10 addicts in a Honda Accord LX. Um, you know, straddling the, the uh, stick shift and two people sitting in the passenger seat and people laying on top of each other in the back. And there was always the one person who, like, curled up in a little ball in the hatch. Uh, but we traveled like that. And we were like a crew. And we took care of each other. And, and I think, you know, it kind of, better or worse, I don't know. You know, I hear people, you know, get here and, and I hear people say to the newcomer, like, oh, you gotta stick with somebody with time. Like, I don't know. None of us had time. We had, you know, one of us had six weeks more than the next. Uh, we were committed to our recovery. And we chased it like we had chased our using. And we clung to each other constantly. And we called each other on our stuff. And if somebody was MIA for a day or two, we were calling. And calling somebody was a little bit more difficult then because people had things called house phones. Um, and answering machines that, like, when you left a message, they may or may not have gotten it. Um, but we chased our recovery and we chased each other. And... Um, and that was like the foundation that got me to where I am today. And, um, you know, I got a sponsor. But the first sponsor that I really worked steps with, um, I worked three and a half steps with her. I worked the first three steps with her. And a um, little bit about my third step experience. Um, so it was time for me to, to formally work my third step and I had this grandiose plan. I had a very particular place that I wanted to do this and I wanted to do it at sunrise in this very particular place that happened to be at the top of a hill that was experience road where there was road construction. And, like, Regina and I would set a plan to do this, and then it couldn't happen because of road construction. <laughs> and we, you know, she'd have these interesting little conversations with me where she would say things, and sometimes she'd pose some questions, but she never really gave me any answers. And um, finally... We're at her house. It must have been a Friday or a Saturday. She was having people over for a barbecue. Let me, while I'm talking about people over for barbecue, like that's something not better than or less than, good or bad, but different, is when I got clean, like we entertained ourselves. 
Like we didn't expect that NA was going to have a function every weekend so that we could be entertained. Like we had card parties and we went bowling and we just like got together and did things. I think kind of like what those normal, if you will, people do. Um, so Regina had a house and she was having a, a some addicts over for a cookout and I was up helping her before everybody got there. And we were having this conversation as to why was I having such a hard time doing this third step? And I kept going on and on about road construction. <laughs> and she said, Cheryl, could you, you know, remind me, please, what the third step is? And so I recited, because I'm good, right? We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of light bulb moment. Like, okay, I'm making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of my higher power, except I'm only trying to do it on my terms. Like, no wonder why it's not working, right? So, you know, we have this, we're in the kitchen and we have this little discussion and then we go out and light the grill. And um, she says, I don't remember exactly what she said, but something to the effect of, so now do you want to do that third step? And it was like, you know, once I was willing to relinquish control over how I was going to do my third step, that's like the practical application of the third step. So that was my experience with that sponsor in the third step. And and I started writing my fourth step shortly thereafter. Um, I don't know about any of you. I'm a little obsessive about things. So you know that that fourth step says we made a searching. Searching? I don't know where you all searched when you did your fourth step. I took that box out that I'd been lugging around with me since I was seven. You know, that had every journal, every diary, every unsent letter. You guys didn't do that? Yeah. So I go through all this crap. And uh, I am so bogged down in the minutia of my life that I can't put pen to paper. The only thing, I say this, the only good thing that came out of that experience after I tore everything up um, is I found my journal from 1977. In 1977, I was 11 years old. On my 11th birthday in 1977, there was a very, very typical 11-year-old entry about not getting to see this cute boy at school. Exactly six months later, there was this entry about how wasted I got, how my friends hated me, how I wasn't ever going to do that again. And then there were two lines skipped and it said, I don't think. So what came out of that was my true recognition that, um, that my powerlessness had started at 11 years old, that, um, that this disease had been controlling me for that long. Um, 
I ended up going on and getting a new sponsor and, and getting through that first fourth step. Um, you know, my perspective on my first fourth step is that a good part of it was a lie. And not a lie in that, like, I was lying about things consciously. But that, you know, just for today says we will get a better perspective on our lives. And, like, I had a really distorted perspective on my life when I wrote that first fourth step. And pretty much everything I wrote about, I wrote about from being the victim. And, um, you know, and some of it, as I've done later fourth steps, I realized that, like, some of the stuff that happened when I was young, I was young. And I didn't have anybody guiding me through that or anybody to, like, tell me that anything was different. So, like, I, I had a, an ex, a series of losses from five to eight, my... um my best friend's mother died, my aunt died, my grandfather died, my parents got divorced, and I got uprooted. So I wrote a whole lot about how everybody left me. Not just at seven and eight, but like that whole way of looking at things traveled up until I was writing that fourth step. And um, everybody didn't leave me. Like, guess what? Life happens. But I was young, and I didn't have anybody, like, helping me through that. And so I experienced everything from from that time on as being abandoned. And it really wasn't until, like, subsequent fourth steps that, like, I really got to see, like, what was other people's parts and what was my part, even going back. Uh, You know, so I did that first, fourth, and fifth step. And I had a sponsor that, that I shared my fifth step with. You know, in the It Works How and Why, it talks about, you know, like, we might find the person we're sharing our fifth step with writing. And, like, we're amazed that somebody would pay that much attention to what we have to say. When I say that my sponsor was writing, like, it almost felt like she never looked up at me. And... um and it was crazy because when we got done with that and we talked some more and she really helped me like to see the kinds of patterns that I was repeating over and over and over in my life. And uh, it's kind of nice to say that in subsequent fourth and fifth steps, most of the patterns have changed. However, I was just in New Mexico sharing a first step with my sponsor Um at which point in my first step, she pointed out, like, that there's still this pattern that's lingering from my last fifth step, um, which is what's really cool. I've had this spon- same sponsor since 1994. First of all, I don't know about you. I'm an addict that really is not skilled in relationships as much as I'd like to think that I am. There was a point in my recovery when I had about six years clean where I used to say I was an expert on relationships, bad ones. Uh, But honestly, like, it's a little different now. I've had a relationship with a sponsor since 1994. I've also had a relationship with my now husband since 1994. Like, we can and do recover, and we do learn how to have relationships. Um, You know, the step work... 
know, it's almost like, I don't know, I just closed my eyes and this is what I saw, so this is what I'm going to say. Like, the step work is the rungs of the ladder and, like, the, re- the rest of the ladder is, like, living life. Like, the, the step work is what holds my life together. Uh, you know, I, I struggled... I struggled with six and seven in the same way that I struggled with three in that, like, I don't believe in a supreme being. And so, like, working the steps that discuss higher power and God, like, took a little extra work for me. And um, and the other thing that made that take a lot of extra work is that um, I was reluctant to ever share that out loud at a meeting. Um, so I'd get offended when other people would share what their higher power was, and then I wasn't willing to share, like, what I believed. So no wonder why I got offended. Um. But, you know, I believe in the power of spiritual principles. I believe in the natural order of life. And, um, you know, when I did six and seven the first time, never let your friends know that you're getting ready to share your seventh step with your sponsor. Uh, because I was at a... In the hotel room at a convention, and this, you know, with sharing a room with a zillion people, and it's like ten minutes before I'm meeting my sponsor, and I'm putting the finishing touches. Do you ever do that? You got to put the finishing touches on your step. It's like I'm not icing a cake. Um, so I'm laying on the bed and I'm putting my finishing touches on, and my friends start coming in and going like, "Do you have control on there?" Do you have over-responsibility on there? Do you have self-righteousness on there? Like, they're just shouting things at me. It's like, it's on there, it's on there. Oh, nope, that's not on there. Um, you know, it's so funny when I think about, like, where, when, and how some of my step work took place. Like, outside of the elevator on the 10th floor at what used to be the Hilton. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, I I had great direction on a ten step. My um my sponsees hate it because I make them do the same thing, which is to write the living the program pamphlet out every day for thirty days. And if you don't get thirty days, you have to start again. So it took me a real long time to do that. Um, what happened from that experience is like I was able to create a set of questions that like I can go to bed with every night to check off my spiritual condition. Um, and I have this one sponsee who like, she'd get to like 29 days. She, she'd be calling me every day to say, I wrote, I wrote, like every, every morning she'd say, I did it last night, I did it last night, she got 29 days in. She was like, I forgot to write last night. This was like for day 30. She'd been at it for a real long time, I was like, alright, I'll cut you some slack, let's schedule. Uh, but it was funny because she, you know, like resistant, 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 and then, like when she got the payoff of what putting something in practice for 30 days is about meant, 
when she had a sponsee who like wanted out of it, she was like, I can't tell you what the payoff's going to be, but you really need to stay and and get it. And, and like, that's the beauty of this fellowship is like when I get to see the light bulb go on for somebody else, um, you know, like carrying the message. You know, the literature talks about like we don't get to decide who gets it. Um, you know, so like for me, like my responsibility is to carry it, whether I think you're going to get it or not, whether I like you or not. Um, I, I went through two like crazy turning points. Um, I don't remember the exact time frame, um, but a while back, one of my husband's sponsees overdosed and died. A couple weeks after he did his fourth step, a couple weeks after he and I had um, built the shed at my house and he helped paint my living room. And, uh, and it devastated my daughter. Like, I want to pretend it did. It devastated me, but it devastated my daughter and I realized that, like, what we bring in affected her and... Uh, and I was done. I like curled up on a couch and I said to my husband, I was done. I wasn't coming to NA anymore. Um, I didn't want that hurt anymore. Like the hurt happens because the love happens. But I was ready to be done. And my husband was smart enough to just hold me and just say, okay. Like he didn't argue with me. And it was just like, okay. And clearly I didn't stop coming to NA but, like, I put a little bit of a wall up, and that wall was up for a while. And um, just this past November, uh, my very first sponsee who's been in and out died. And uh, I was at our, our old home group for their anniversary, and I was going to go see her. And I didn't. I said, oh, I'll just go in two weeks when I'm back here. And um, she was gone before those two weeks. Uh, and I made a decision then that, like, this keeping myself, keeping people at bay wasn't working for me anymore. That um, That I needed to risk the hurt that happens when we do what we do. Um. And so, like, I'm kind of, like, back on that. So I have a couple people in my life that, like, that were in my life that are not. And um, so I recently started, I do a, every two weeks I send a text that says something like, just thinking about you, hope you're okay. I'm here if you need me. Um, I haven't gotten a response back. But it definitely feels better than when I was, like, keeping people away. Um, you know, and that's, you know, I can only carry the message and I can't guarantee who's going to get it, but, um, but I feel like more of a commitment again to, to being responsible to carrying the message, even, you know, like sometimes when people don't seem like they want it, um, cause I know, you know, from watching that it gets really hard for some people to like, want to come back because 
they have that same thinking in their head that like I have all the time, which is like you don't like me or, you know, I hurt them, they don't want to be there for me, you know, whatever crazy crap goes on in our heads and um you know, I'm just not willing to to I want to be a vessel for for this message. So, um you know, so that's what I've been doing. Um Terrence asked me to come up. I don't know if that summarized 28 years. Um, like I, yeah, it doesn't. It, I, I don't even know how to do justice to like what I've gotten. One last thing, and then I'm gonna shut up. So I got asked to to speak, sort of. I, I was the default. A friend of mine was asked to speak at this event called Sister to Sister Speaker Jam. Now. I don't know about you, but when I hear sister to sister speaker jam, I think this is a women's event, right? That's what I think. Uh, wrong. We get there, it's like half and half. So, but my friend was asked to speak and then she had to back out because something came up and when she called to tell them, they asked her, do you have somebody? And, um, You know, she said, oh, she thought I was already planning on going is what she said. But that's a whole other story. Um, so the woman calls and asks me, and, you know, it's a speaker jam. So I say, well, what's the topic? And she says to me, well, I don't know. What have you been through? Tell me about what you've been through. I'm like, in 28 years, um, it might be easier to tell you what I haven't been through. Like, that's the thing about this this recovery is, like, I have experienced just about everything that you can experience in life. And um, secure in the love of the fellowship, I've not found it necessary to pick up. Secure in the love of the fellowship, I've not just gotten through things, but I've grown through things. And that's what this is about. Thanks.